Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Alrighty, we are back for our, I think this will be our final episode talking about 10 things to do when you visit Dublin and we have one item left and that's number 10 for today's list. We'll talk about item number 10 and then we will end with a recap of our overall travel to Dublin and how this particular trip was a life-changing event. I'm going to phrase it that way for us as travelers because it did change how we travel, I think in a big way. It changed our attitudes Mm -hmm. about traveling. Yeah. So the the last thing that we did in Dublin was was actually to get out of Dublin. We had booked an all-day tour to go visit the Wicklow Mountains. So this is an area that's nearby Dublin, but it turned out to be an entire day event for us. And I think for you and I, this was probably the first time that we had ever done like a day excursion that was like a guided tour. Yes, and saw a different part of Ireland. When you go to Ireland, there's so many areas that are open and pasture lands and peat moss. And, you know, you've got so many different types of landscapes. So we got a chance to see another type of landscape other than the city landscape. And I think people who have been listening to our podcast, you probably have a sense that much of the travel that we do is self-directed you know so we go by ourselves to the various places we want to explore but from time to time we have done guided tours not like an entire itinerary that's a guided tour because we do like to have our own flavor i think when we travel yes but it can be a very nice change from all the you know we walk and walk and walk and walk and there's sometimes where you're you want that change of scenery Mm -hmm. where you're going a little bit further to something that's different and we did that definitely did that through this guided tour because the bus took us way outside of dublin yeah i'm sure many people have done something like this before but for those that haven't just for a flavor of what this is about this is the kind of thing where you hop on a bus there's a bus driver who also serves as your tour guide and you get to sit in the comfort of the bus and get routed from place to place and along the way the bus driver slash tour guide will explain to you what it is you're seeing or he'll treat you sometimes he treats you with things we've had that happen a couple of times yeah a few times yeah. yeah it's a nice way to have somebody else craft at least for a day an agenda for you so that's what we did on the last thing that we did in dublin mm-hmm So we had started in the morning hopping on a bus in city center Dublin with the main excursion being out to the Wicklow Mountains. And our first stop was a real quick pullover at a harbor area. And I'm going to apologize right now to all the Irish. Yes, because 
As we go through this episode, we will probably try to refer to the names of several Irish places, some Gaelic names that we have actually tried tried to find out before we recorded this. Yeah. What's the proper pronunciation for Gaelic some of these is very things? Hard. And we're having trouble finding yeah. some of these things, so we'll do our best. So our first stop was at Dunlogair Harbor, where we just um, had a quick stop to stretch our legs, get some coffee. I think we walked around for a few minutes. It was just basically a stretch your legs opportunity for us. Right. And we also got a kick out of looking across the harbor, because apparently there's a ferry that goes across. Yeah. And I think you end up in another country, Scotland, maybe. I remember getting a kick out of that. But then we're, <laughs> we're back on the bus and get to our first main stop. Our first stop, as we were kind of going through a smaller two-way highway, and we're going through all these areas of peat moss. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's a highway, just a small, narrow road. It's just road, a road. It's Irish a road. road. Yeah, 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 very small. And there's all this peat moss as you're going through. So we know from Ireland history that peat moss was a very important substance that they used for many different purposes, but mostly for burning as a fuel. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of artifacts found in peat moss. As they're digging out peat moss, they find these ancient artifacts. So it's been around a long time. So it was really cool to see that, having known a little bit about its history and what they used it for, until we came upon this lake. This lake is known as Guinness Lake. But its name is actually Loch Tay, and I'm hoping that Tay is the right way to say it, but uh, its name is Loch Tay. This lake is a part of the former Guinness estate, that, that's known as Guinness Lake. It was owned by Arthur Guinness, and they claim that the reason it's called Guinness Lake is because the family had imported a whole bunch of white sand and put it on one section of the lake to make it look like a glass of Guinness. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. You know what would be more cool? Is if they actually got rid of the water and filled it <laughs> with Guinness, Guinness beer. <laughs> that would be really cool. But the lake itself was very still looking and had a dark color to it. You know, And then you saw this white sand all on one side of it. So I could see what they were trying mm-hmm. to do. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was a neat sight to see. This lake is actually private and it is still private, um, so you're not able to go down and tour it. But it's quite a, a sight. You can see from, it from the road. From the road, yeah. 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 Uh, Loch Tay had many films that were done around this area and around this lake, including the 1974 film Zardoz and the 81 film Excalibur, which I saw. Mm-hmm. I think you saw I too. I think we saw it together. Yeah. yeah. That was done by the producer John Borman. And it's also the very, very famous site, and it was mentioned by our bus driver, of P.S. I Love You. And he stopped in the exact same place where there was a stream going through, uh, the peat moss, where they actually did a certain scene in the filming. Mm -hmm. So he he pointed that out to us. Many films are made there because the area is absolutely beautiful views you could see pretty far across this peat moss you could see up into the mountain range that's in that area during this time that we went the weather was pretty clear so you could see quite a long ways and it was just it was gorgeous it just had this beautiful 
sense to it. Yeah, I remember. Kind of peaceful, too. Yeah, recently looking at the photos that we took when we visited this place, and I was taken by the variety of colors that were in the hills. I mean, you had everything from reds and oranges, greens and browns, and just this very diverse landscape panorama of colors that really added to the um, the beauty of the hillside. Yes. And then you started seeing the sheep. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, farmers in the area who have their flocks of sheep. And um, there are some out that are just grazing right on the hillsides. They'll cross the road. They'll, I mean, it's just an open type of range for the sheep, mm-hmm. which was a new experience for us. That was the first time we've ever really got that up close to these animals the irish sheep the irish sheep and as we were standing there watching the sheep we got our treat yes and what was that treat julie the bus driver just pulls out these little cups and pulls out some irish whiskey and i do you remember what it was no other than it was an irish whiskey but i i do distinctly remember being in this area overlooking the lake and sipping a whiskey in these Irish hills and it was just, um, it was a memorable experience. It you know, was a, a, very a great so. place to be drinking Irish whiskey. Yeah, it was very, very, but he didn't give us seconds. I didn't expect the first I tasting, <laughs> so I was happy to get that. So you perhaps if you're traveling around the hills of Dublin, you may want to bring a flask with you or something because it's nice to pull over the side of the road and have a sippy sippy. <laughs> While you're looking at the views. It seems apropos. Yeah. So our next stop was going to be to an Irish monastery. And on the way, we had stopped at a place called the Lynham's Hotel or the Linham's Hotel, which was in a hotel near a river. I remember when we got there, it was kind of drizzly. It was kind of raining by the time we got to that point. So we had a chance to get some refreshments, some coffee, some more coffee before we got to explore this monastery area. So a place called Glendalach. The area that we stopped and Glendalach is in the Wicklow Mountains, which is gorgeous in themselves. Mm -hmm. And it is an area that when you define Glendalach, it means Valley of the Two Lakes. And it's a glacier valley, like many areas that we have visited before, but this was quite different. It just, the landscape seemed very different. And it was known for a very, very early medieval monastic community or a settlement founded in the 6th century by St. Kevin. Kevin, or St. Kevin, came to have a lot of fame in the area. He was a very holy man, and he tended to attract a lot of followers who saw holiness in him. He died in uh, 618, and over the next six centuries, Glendalach, it got bigger and it started to flourish even after his death. And the Irish annals or the Irish writings of that area contain references to um, the deaths of many abbots by raids by Vikings in the settlement area. Yeah, we've talked about the Vikings before. Those Vikings. Yes, they have a... Yeah. Part of this Irish history. Mm-hmm. They but just came in and destroyed everything. Played havoc with the monks. Including the monastery. Yeah. And they kind of like killing people. 
I don't know what it is within their culture. You know, there are many cultures that grow and get bigger by invading other cultures and um, either killing or taking their inhabitants as slaves. It's very common. I mean, I'm not trying to knock the Vikings. It's just, it's something that happened very different times. And But they were very prevalent in Ireland. By the time that the Vikings had reached the inhabitants of the monastic community, we think was around 1042, there was timber taken from the area to build the second longest Viking longship ever recorded in history at around 30 meters. Today, there is a replica of that ship that was located or that is located in Denmark in a place called Roskilde. So that'd be kind of cool to go see that too. It would be, yeah. Then around 1398, this settlement was destroyed by the English. We talked about them English, didn't we? And they totally left it in ruin. There was some of the basic structures were kind of leveled down to the ground. You can see the footings and stuff, but I mean, they pretty much leveled it. And that's kind of what you're left to see today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's an effort to rebuild some of it and replicate some of it. And that we saw that mm-hmm. in some of the things we're going to talk about in a minute. But yeah. uh, the actual cathedral itself is pretty much just bones. I mean, yeah, you can see the footprint. Yeah. You can see maybe a wall or two here mm-hmm. or there. Yeah. But we still like to, we still like to browse see those yeah. types of uh, remnants of history. Yeah. yeah. And it's also many people, not only us, like to see it because this monastery became a place of pilgrimage for many Catholics. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of cool to know that St. Kevin's legend and his holiness are still something that people desire. Back when it was thriving, the community had workshops. It had manuscript writing and the copying. There was guest house. There was a little hospital infirmary. Of course, there was farms because they had to have supplies for their day-to-day living and dwellings and homes for the monks and some of the lay population that lived around the monastery. So it was quite thriving back in its day. Yeah. So once upon a time, a big community here. Today, you can walk around the, I guess it's probably their version of what I would call a ghost town in our Western United States. It's uh, remnants of what used to be. There's a few things that I know caught our eye and probably stayed with us in our memories as we were touring the monastery area. One of them was what's called the gateway. So the main wall to get into the monastery back in the day was what was called a double gateway. And it's today the ruins of this gateway that you see there is the only existing example of this double gateway architecture that still exists, at least in Ireland. So it's historically important from that perspective. Originally, there was a second story as part of this gateway, which gave it the look of a tower. And this was something that was built somewhere between the years 1900 to 1200. So, you know, 1,000-ish years ago, probably had a timber roof. The second story today is gone. The roof is gone. But you can see this gateway, and it's like the first monument that you come across as you enter the monastic community. One of the other things you see is what they call the round tower. And it's very impressive. It catches your eye right away. And it is about 30 meters high and has an entrance three and a half meters from the base. Yeah. 
when you look at it, which it's is under- up. So you know that there's some way you have to get up there in order to get yeah. into the tower. Kind of reminds me of a mini leaning tower of Pisa. Yeah, it did look like structure. it was leaning. Yeah. yeah, it did have a little lean to it. Uh huh. Originally, it had floors in it. It had these six floors that were made of timber. And they were connected by ladders. And they would store supplies within these little rooms that were within the tower. Do you remember what the tour guide explained to us about one of the ways that these towers were used? The Vikings. It was it was a defense. So I remember him telling us that when invaders would come, the residents of the community, probably mostly the monks, but there was also some lay people there, would take refuge in, in the round tower. And I don't know if there was more than one of the round towers there, but you, you, know, you mentioned that the, the entrance was off the ground a little bit, so they, they had a way to get in. And then I think the the kind of plan was when you were being invaded, you'd kind of make that whatever you You'd burn you, it or something. Yeah, you use the ladder to get inside. You'd have to burn it or they could just put the ladder right back up. But then the thing, the horrible thing that I remember hearing about and it's was still what the Vikings did. Yeah, like it almost haunts me to this day is the Vikings, you know, knowing that there were people that were taking refuge and hiding in the round tower would set fire underneath. And try the to inside sm- was timber. Yeah, try to smoke out and burn mm-hmm. the people who were, were just, you know, say, hey, leave me alone, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, another um, part of that history, which is not pleasant, but it happened. Yeah, all over the world, things like that happen. Mm-hmm. But the top of it had four windows, and the four windows were able to view all sides of the landscape. And that was used if there was approaching visitors or maybe approaching marauders or uh, whoever was coming, they would be able to see them before they got there. And if they had any kind of preparation they needed to do before they arrived, they could do it beforehand. It was quite large. I mean, I remember looking up at it Mm -hmm. and thinking that's, that's quite tall. So I'm sure the view, you can't go up in it, obviously. Those floors are long gone, but... I remember thinking I would love to see the view up there because mm. it's probably fantastic. Mm-hmm. The round tower is, it's the thing I remember the most about going to this monastic community. Mm-hmm. Just visually seeing it and then the stories we heard about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, pretty impressive. Well, we mentioned the cathedral, which was very impressive for me. Too. Yeah. So back in the day, the largest building that was part of this community was the cathedral. And so this is a building that dates back to somewhere around the 10th century. It had gone through several iterations of building. Once upon a time, it would have been finely decorated, though today much of the stonework is missing. So you, you kind of see the remnants of what it used to be you kind of see the the footprint of it you know some of the walls and just a few yards south of the cathedral is an early cross made out of local granite with an unpierced ring and this is commonly known as saint kevin's cross so another thing that you're going to see when you're by the cathedral so the cathedral was originally dedicated to saints peter and paul but it ceased being an actual cathedral in the year 1214. So one of these buildings that was signified as a cathedral for a short time in history, about 200 years, roughly or so, and then for whatever reason, lost that status. But again, you know, you can still see remnants of it today. Mm-hmm. And just a short walk from the cathedral is the priest's house. Now, this is something that has almost 
been completely reconstructed from the original stones. And it's reconstructed based on a 1779 sketch. It's a very small building. And this is where the priests were interred in the 18th and 19th centuries. So they would place the priests or their bodies in a grave or a tomb. And they would usually have some kind of funeral rite for them. It is thought that this building once was used to house the relics of St. Kevin, but there's apparently no such proof of this. But we didn't get to go inside, but you know, you could walk around it. And I'm pretty sure I remember some kind of sketch or some kind of plaque at that building explaining a little bit about it. Yeah, I was looking at some video that we shot at this location about a week ago or so. And there's a clip that we have of us with the, the our tour guide, and he's showing us what's called the sanctuary stone there. And there's chiseled into it a Gaelic cross. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that was pointed out to us, and it always you know fascinates me because you think about the technology or lack thereof a thousand years ago, the workmanship of the stones and how they were able to fit them together. Yeah. And that, that always astonishes me. And I, I know lately, you know, we've been watching... A show, I think it's called Victorian Farm. Yeah. On is. one of the British mm-hmm. channels. And there was an episode where they were showing, you know, them trying to create, I think it was like a pig holding a pen mm-hmm. using older just hand tools to try to break up stones to make uh, pieces that kind of fit in with each other. And when you see people trying to do this, especially, I guess, those people who, you know, they don't do this every day, you get a feel for how difficult it is and to do it well. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to the things we've talked about, there's other ruins and remnants that are at the Glendalock Monastery ruins, St. Kevin's Church, St. Mary's Church. There's a graveyard there. Oh, a huge graveyard. Yeah. Everywhere you look, there's gravestones. Yeah. And so markers. we spent some time walking around that. Mm-hmm. Lots of the tombstones, mm-hmm. lots of those large Celtic crosses. So we probably spend more time at this stop, I think, than anything else that we did on our day tour in the Mm -hmm. Wicklow Mountains. Mm -hmm. And this is something that if you have an appreciation for history that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, if you appreciate religious history, this would be a nice add-on to your time in Dublin, Mm -hmm. I think. I think so, too. And we did stay there until we almost could not stay there anymore. Firstly, we had to make sure we got the bus and caught it back to Dublin. Yes, you don't want to miss the bus when you're... No, you don't want to do that. And secondly, it started to rain. So it was like perfect timing. We were kind of done with our tour. We saw everything we were going to see. And then the clouds started opening up and it started raining, you know, quite significantly. So we went inside. They had a little cafe and we had some uh, hot coffee and it was nice because we were in Ireland we had just saw this these beautiful relics learned some of its history came inside and had a nice cup of hot coffee and it was just the perfect day so this rounds out 10 things that one can do whilst visiting Dublin and beyond the 10 that we've discussed over our four episodes there's so much more that you can do so Just know that if visiting Dublin is on your list of things to do someday, I would plan to give the city a sufficient amount of days to give it its due because there is so much to see. I think if we were to do a trip there again, 
I would not only want to spend as much time, if not a little more than we did in Dublin, but also probably add on a few more days to spend even more time touring a few more of the cities in Ireland besides Dublin. Yeah, we left there grateful that we got the chance to explore another part of the world, Mm -hmm. you know, another country. And but thinking we need more. Yeah. We need to see more of Dublin. We need to see more of its countryside. We need to go to Scotland. We need to go. So it it drew us into a great desire to go and see more of the world. Yeah. So before we talk about seeing more of the world, let's talk about just because uh, because we never had talked about any of the travel arrangements or logistics about Dublin. So I'm just going to quickly talk about that. So getting to Dublin, you know, for us, it was getting from the Los Angeles area to Dublin, Ireland. And if Dublin is on your radar, just know that hopefully in the months to come, crossing our fingers that travel may start to open up again. And when and if it does, you know, when I'm checking the prices recently of traveling from LA to to Dublin, Ireland, I'm finding rates like in the $500-ish round trip, Mm -hmm. which is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever thinking about going to the UK, at least coming from the United States, it seems to be a lot cheaper by a lot, you know, a few hundred dollars to fly into Dublin versus to fly into someplace in England or someplace in Scotland, I'm assuming there's some kind of tax difference between those two areas, but it might be cheaper, like even if you wanted to go to other parts of the the UK, to fly into Dublin and then ferry over to the other side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might you know save some money and then also be able to see you know, a couple of countries versus mm-hmm. one. We flew over on Aer Lingus, which when I still think about the multiple trips we've done overseas, that was my favorite plane mm-hmm. trip yeah. it just felt homey the yeah. the crew and staff were accommodating like no other airline it felt comfortable i just really enjoyed flying on that yeah. that airline once we landed we didn't have our own car so we ended up taking a taxi initially to get to our hotel and then after that most of our travel was on bus, bus. and Walking. yeah and then some of the city overground train So basically public transportation. So, you know, we were able to explore the city without a personal car, just relying on public transportation. And as so many cities in Europe, that's one thing that is nice is you can land yourself in a city center and just rely on the combination of buses, trains, and you know what other other public options there are. Mm -hmm. And it gets you around quite well, quite reasonably. For lodging, you had mentioned on a prior episode our stay at Clontarf Castle. Which was actually a real castle once upon a time. So that was a nice place to stay. It's a much modernized castle that dates back to 1837. It's in superb condition and it sits in an area famous as a key location in the Battle of Clontarf back in 1014 and there's been a castle on that site ever since the year 1172 so if you stay there you're also soaking up a different kind of history so we would recommend that some fun facts on the hotel is that george frederick handel was a frequent visitor to the castle during his stay in dublin and during his stay in dublin for the premiere of messiah in 1742 the castle is also referred to by 
bassist and singer Phil Lynott of the Irish rock group Thin Lizzy in his song titled The Friendly Ranger at Clontarf Castle, which happens to be the opening track on their 1971 debut album, also named after the band Thin Lizzy. This was our first lodging, but we did have a second lodging that was a little bit more economical for us. Yeah, and I don't know if it was, it might have even been if they have them in Ireland, like a Best Western. It was yeah, something it was very, like that. It even had that look to it of yeah. just like a, you know, a, a run of the mill motel chain. Chain. Kind of thing. Yeah. A chain, yeah. Do, do you remember what that was like going into that place? Dark. Well, it was so dark inside. I was like, and by dark we don't mean like a little dark. We mean we, you know, we we open a door to get into a hallway, and there was literally there was no light. Yeah. You couldn't even see. You had a, you need a flashlight. That was kind of bizarre. So I remember yeah. we're stumbling our way through these dark corridors trying to find our room. Yeah, and there was no real direction too. You just kind of the person at the desk pointed us go that way. Yeah, it was one I would not stay in again. Let's yeah. put it that way. It had thin walls too. Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> if you ever become aware of thin walls in motel, we need not say more. <laughs> we were kept up. But we asked to move. Yeah. Get us out of here. <laughs> so recapping the 10 things that we did in Dublin over our four episodes. Number one, exploring the streets. Number two, touring the city statues and its monuments. Number three, the National Museum of Ireland. And then one of my favorite was the Jameson Distillery. Number five on our list, we talked about visiting the Guinness Storehouse, which is a phenomenal brewery. Mm -hmm. And um, to wrap up your drinking, number six was going to Temple Bar and visiting the pubs there. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Visit Trinity College. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Take a walk around the River Liffey. At number nine, we talked about visiting a number of historic churches, and then we wrapped up, as we talked about on this episode, with a tour of the nearby Wicklow Mountains. So, you know, we kept busy for a number of days, but if we had more time, a few things. I think, Julie, you had mentioned an interest in going to Dublin Castle. Yes, I mean, we walked by it, and I just remember thinking, boy, we, we really should see that, but we just weren't quite there. You know, yeah. we couldn't really do it. And then I learned that there's a National Leprechaun Museum. Oh, that's cool. So that'd be interesting to see. This is great. An oratory of the Sacred Heart, where a nun spent 16 years painting a stunning Celtic mural that covers the interior of this World War I memorial. Hey, another thing that I had learned about, and I think we had talked previously about a desire to someday hike the Camino de Santiago, and we've done a pretty epic hike in Southern California in the Santa Monica Mountains. There's in the Wicklow Mountains, there's something that's called the Wicklow Way. But this is an 81-mile trail that crosses the Wicklow Mountains, and that's just about the same length that we hiked the Santa Monica Mountains in California. That was Mm -hmm. also about Mm -hmm. 80 miles or Mm so. And it runs through Marley Park in the south suburbs of Dublin all the way through County Wicklow, and it's designated as a national waymarked trail and marked by posts with a yellow walking man symbol that point you in the right direction. It usually takes about five to seven days to complete this hike, 
and it's one of the busiest of Ireland's national waymarked trails with up to 24,000 people every year that walk its most popular section. So if you enjoy hiking, Wicklow is something also that uh, offers oh. that to you. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. I would say if you like beer, you should go to Dublin. Mm-hmm. If you like history, you should go to Dublin. If you have Irish roots, you should go to Dublin. And if you want to step into Europe, but do so in the comfort of an English-speaking country, you should go to Dublin. I think that should cover just about everybody. You gotta. I think so. <laughs> any person would have at least one of those likes on their list. So uh, if you've not been to Dublin before, we highly, highly recommend Dublin. And I think the last thing that we might talk about here is when we left... And so, I mean, you can tell me what it was like for you, but something definitely changed for me. I left there with such a desire to do more of this kind of exploration that we had done in Dublin. And and I felt for me, one of the transformations that happened is that we changed from being people who took vacations to people who now wanted to be travelers. And I think it's a different thing, right? So when I think about prior to this trip, we would like every year with the kids take a week here or a week there. And we do, you know, a few days in Disneyland or we would drive down to San Diego. And those trips were maybe one or two days in an amusement park, maybe, you know, a day lounging around the swimming pool. But it was more of that just taking time off of work and doing something fun, doing something relaxing, but it wasn't going someplace new with the intention of exploring and learning. And that's that's kind of what I got from Ireland. Yes. And you can explore and learn when you have children too. Mm-hmm. We made those decisions, I think, based partly on finances. Partly on finances. And then also I think about my work situation back when I was younger, I wasn't able to take long periods of time off of work. Probably the most I ever took off at consecutively was five days. And I don't even know if I took off that long when we had kids. So when you have short amount of time. Yeah. So, so we did what we could with what we had, Mm -hmm. enjoyed those memories immensely. I mean, we're we're the type of people that when we decide to do something, we're going to put everything into it and we're going to enjoy it and have fun and live the moment. And we did. We did when the kids were younger and we loved those moments. But when we went to Dublin, we were also without kids. There was no kids there. So that made a difference too, because it was exclusively what we could do and explore where we wanted to explore. And we didn't have to, although I missed the kids uh, when we went to Dublin, because they weren't, you know, they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. I was thoroughly enjoying that moment of just you and I. And that was another reason for me that kind of kicked in that I want to do as much as I can while we can at that time in our life. It was a different time in our life. The other thing that happened, I think, for us after this trip is I think we started to think differently about how much time to devote to travel. And part of it was because now I started to become with my job in a situation where I could take some more time off. So we had moved from, I think Dublin was roughly what, five days, six days, something like that to the next trip overseas that we would take when we went to Italy, that would be a 10 day trip. 
And then the next overseas trip that we took after that would be a three-week trip. So we've progressively, since our travel to Dublin, made longer journeys. And each of those journeys have been with these itineraries that have allowed us to immerse ourselves in places. Yeah, with great intention we did that. Yeah. Because that was, as we experienced Dublin, we left feeling with we needed more. We Mm -hmm. needed more of Dublin. We needed more of the outskirts of Dublin. We needed to see more of Ireland. And we got on that plane to go home and I immediately was like, what's next? Yeah. Where are we going? Yeah. Because we need to go somewhere else. And one of the things that you did, is one of the first things that you did on this particular trip, and you might have talked about this on the first or second of the Dublin episodes, is you had used part of this visit to try to get a sense of some of your own family history. Mm-hmm. And then that's something that's continued on our travels yes. since. Yes, absolutely. It's been one of the main focuses, actually, yeah. in these trips that we've taken not so much Italy, because there's no connection there. I think our connection there was just being Catholic. Mm-hmm. But these last few trips, which involved Poland and England. And Wales. Wales. And that, last that, night you were talking to somebody about doing the Lewis and Clark Trail. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because you, you have a connection with we're that. A connection with that. So yeah. this is part of our joy in finding these connections and these little bits of history that are part of our how we got here our journey yeah. what what made us who we are yeah, you personal know? story yeah yeah so that's you know i think for you know if somebody's ever struggling with you know where should i go next on a trip or a vacation one of the things i'd recommend is whatever it is that you know about your own personal past and your own personal roots if you've not been to where it is that your ancestors are from that's a great choice to structure a mm-hmm travel trip around if, if you can mm-hmm. be, be very aware of um, the social climate of the area yeah because we have places i mean i have places in my past that i like to go to particularly i think about certain places in ukraine that several years ago i would have felt much more comfortable going to than mm-hmm. in the present day mm-hmm. i'm hoping to get there at some point but yeah there's and, and then there's a number of places in the middle east that my dad traveled mm-hmm. through that mm-hmm. probably fall under the category of just have to be cautious about where's the right place to go at mm-hmm. the right time mm-hmm. during your life another thing that changed for us and it's probably definitely connected to just the advance of technology and the fact that you could take a device with you and snap 2000 photos and, uh, (laughs) you know, versus back in the old days where you'd have to have film and you can only do like 30 or so shots on a, on a roll of film, but our pictorial memories via photographs exploded ever since we went to Dublin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think the kind of photos that we have taken also have changed. You know, I can today open up a folder on a computer of you know a trip to Italy or a trip to Wales and I think we do a pretty good job of documenting with photos what we did when we were there and it's a nice way to kind of relive what we did just by opening up those photo directories on the computer so you know a great way to remember your journeys mm-hmm. and then another thing you and I had started We didn't do this in Dublin, but the next big trip we would do after that was just to do these nightly personal videos. So at the end of a day on most trips, if we still have the energy, we'll set up uh, a camera on one end of the hotel room or wherever we're staying and just 
recap the day. That is so helpful, especially with what we're doing. You know, we've decided to share our trips with you and our journeys with you to just go back and take a look at our day. And we try to do a real good job of describing what we did that day and things that happened and what we saw. And because memories are are great, our memories are good, but it's a lot to remember. Yeah. So it's good to kind of just recap re-energize get those pictures back in your head and and those memories back in your head and And sometimes you know go back and watch one of those videos and it's like oh i totally forgot about that event that happened or that funny thing that happened so some of those videos are funny many of them (laughs) are funny and i think the last thing is we've continued to try to learn about the places that we visit not only before we get there when we're there, but even after the trip is done, you know, continue to try to understand more about the places that we've been to. So that's the neat thing about travel too, is it can keep your curiosity going all the way from before you go someplace to many, many years after you've been someplace. So that's our personal life-changing trip, you know, changed us in a lot of ways as, as travelers. And, uh, Glad to share it with you. We have a whole lot more that we've done that yeah. we still have a plan to bring up on future episodes. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us. We really appreciate that you have taken the time to listen to our podcast. If you are new to this podcast, please join us on theplaceswherewego.com. And it will give you a lots of blog information and pictorial information and recipes and all kinds of things that you might enjoy. Oh, and also probably this year, hopefully we continue some momentum with this because we just did our first one. We hope to have some more videos this year. Yes. So we just have a, one that we posted on a hiking the Santa Susana Pass mm-hmm. historic trail in Southern California. And we'll hope to have more video content this year too so there'll be something new yeah so stay with us but for now thanks for joining us on the places where we go if you have any comments or info to share with us about travel you can write us at comments at the places where we you can also follow us on social media right now we're on twitter and instagram both at the places where we go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.